either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, we got one movie that we've been waiting on for 10 years and <laughs> some other ones to talk about as well. A good batch this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we'll start with the story of Columbus, Tallahassee, Wichita, and Little Rock as they move to the American heartland and face off against evolved zombies, fellow survivors, and the growing pains of the snarky makeshift family at Zombieland Double Tap. Welcome to Zombieland. Life is about more than just survival. We were a family. Dysfunctional, sure, but what family isn't? Merry Christmas! What would you like, little girl? I'd really like for you to stop calling me little girl. Whoa! Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Hi, I'm Columbus. Madison. This is Tallahassee. Hey, Paul Blart. Is this your dad? My sister is gone. She picked up a boy. He's from Berkeley. Berkeley! You don't have weed, do you? Do I look like the type of person that would have weed? I'm sorry. Boom! Yeah! I have nothing against hippies. I just want to beat the shit out of them. We're gonna go get her. We ride it, Dawn. Yeah, hard to believe, but the original Zombieland came out 10 years ago. That's crazy. That is crazy. And I know for several years, it just seemed like this was never going to happen. Yeah. And then And then we started to get rumors like, oh, no, maybe. And then, of course, once it came together, I, I know we were excited. Oh, I think a lot very, of people are. A lot of very. people are. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the reasons right off the bat to be excited is because the four main actors are back. Right. But one of the things I thought was so funny about the ad campaign, like so odd, I wondered if they did it on purpose to be funny, is that it said, from the director of Venom and the writers of Deadpool. And we were both like... <laughs> From the director of Zombieland and the writers of Zombieland. <laughs> exactly. What a funny ad campaign to have. Yeah, because the director of Zombieland, Ruben Fleischer, he's really been trying to live up to the promise of Zombieland You're not since kidding. then. But it is funny because, yeah, it's, it's the same guy that did Zombieland. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem like maybe they were going for a wink-wink there because, especially now seeing the movie, because there's a lot of wink-wink in this movie. A lot, yes. And it is, you bring up the having the four back because it's such a great foursome. You've got three Oscar nominees and one Oscar winner. Yes! And that's obviously that solid, but when you think about doing a sequel to this movie, it could have been done, I suppose, without all four of them. But you, it seems like you really got to have all four. No, I, you I really definitely do. agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and you know, I think that the, the focus they take, even though it's a little slow going, it makes sense. Which is just that, you know, they're not family. And they didn't even really choose to become family. So 10 years in, people are getting a little weary. And it was kind of cute because... It's that Tallahassee, Woody Harrelson, he's such an overbearing parent to uh, Little, Little Rock, Rock Abigail, Abigail Breslin, mm-hmm. who's now a full-grown adult oh, yes. and really, really wishes that she knew some other people her own age. <laughs> so that's kind of the catalyst to the right, film. Right. And then you've got the, the couple that has come together now in uh, Emma Stone and Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg, Columbus, right. who we have affinity for, that's obviously, right, indeed. since that's where uh, we are. Emma Stone is Wichita. Wichita. So anyway, they've settled into this uh, relationship that uh, Wichita is feeling a little smothered by. Yeah. And so that becomes, yeah, the catalyst. The women take off. Yes. And then that becomes a reason that they leave the White House because they'd been setting up kind of that's their shop home. in the White House. That's where they live now, yeah. which is kind of funny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you've seen some of that in the trailer. They have fun with that for sure. But uh, then when the women take off, 
the guys have different reasons for for going off after them. And what's interesting, I don't know about what you were thinking while we were watching it, but about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so into it, I thought, oh boy, I I was starting to get bad feelings about how this was going to go. And the ironic thing about it was, as much as we feel that having this original foursome was necessary, the fun of this movie comes from outside the foursome. Yes, exactly. The, the, you're right that, that the movie is it's a little slow going at first, and then they introduce the first of the outsider characters, which is uh, Zoe Deutsch. Yeah, Madison. Madison. She and is... she's an airhead in pink, and she's a vegan, and yep. she's been living in a mall, and she's as you said, scene stealing. She is she a steals scene everything. stealer. She is fantastic. You've seen her in different movies. She is Leah Thompson's daughter, and she looks very much like her. It's not. Uh, <laughs> it's not hard to tell that she's Leah Thompson's daughter. But this is a star-making sort of performance. I mean, <laughs> she's, really, she's, she's going to so get funny. on a lot of radars here if she and wasn't she, before. And she's so uh, her chemistry with all of the other actors is hysterical. Yep. It's just hysterical. Yeah, so they pick her up as a fellow survivor and she instantly clashes with everybody. Of course. And it's a great funny character and that helps right away. She's the first newcomer to the movie. And so right away that gives it an injection of of fun and going in different places. Right. And then as it goes along, we meet other new faces. Right. You've got the couple doppelgangers right, in right, right. Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch. And he's Thomas Middleditch is about a perfect uh doppelganger for Jesse Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. I mean that that was that was priceless. Yeah. You know one of the things I really have always loved about that the character Columbus and 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 about the way Jesse Eisenberg especially in this film uh, creates him is that he just likes everybody. He yeah. just ge- he he likes Madison. He yeah. he does. He just genuinely has affection for everybody, and you just want to hug him. Yeah, but the two of them face off because they're be- being very polite and friendly. But sure. they both have a set of rules, but they're a different set of rules. Only slightly <laughs> different, and they're both are pretty accommodating. He's yeah. like, you teamwork. Yeah. I should have had that. Why isn't that in mind? But just like in the first one, we see the rules on the screen, yep. and so that's, there's yep. that fun graphic. And uh, that leads to Luke Wilson is the doppelganger for, um, Woody, for Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Tallahassee. And it leads to a great, a really great action sequence inside this Elvis themed hotel run by Nevada, mm-hmm. which is uh, Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. because they're they're going to Graceland. That's one of the uh, one of the trips they're making. I think this time there's a lot of there's a few stand-ins in this movie yeah. that take the place of sure. what we liked about the first one. There's there's really no search for Twinkies in this. In this one, Woody uh, wants to go after Graceland mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to finally get to uh, do his Elvis tribute. And so they lead, it leads to this great uh, set piece inside this uh, hotel. But again, new characters yep. really breathing some fun into yep. this. And there's also there's other lines that they use, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, about the first one. So it, it's not necessary that you've seen the first one? No. You could still have fun with it, yes. but you're going to appreciate a lot of the little asides yeah. if you have seen the first one. And like, if you haven't seen the first one, do. let us recommend it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because then the, the second, you, one of the things you remember about the first one is the amusement park. Yes. And such a, that was such a great oh setting. Oh, my God. It was so you know? great. It really was. And they have a stand-in for that right. in this a hippie commune kind of place that's right. free from zombies called Babylon. Right. But they're all pacifists where you got to give us sh- no guns, no guns here as we uh, take refuge from the zombies, which leads to a nice culture clash. Yeah. 
Then you've got the the hippies and the zombies and the airhead mall girl all trying to, you know, coexist. But then, of course, the zombies come calling. And there's a lot of blood splatter. Oh, there is. But, there, I mean, there was in the first time, too. Oh, yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not a scary no. horror film at all. Absolutely not. So, you know, I think that for, for people who are, you know, looking for a seasonal treat but are maybe not horror film fans, I think this is a good option. Yeah. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's not... All the the jokes are not laugh out loud funny at no. all, it, and it's not top to bottom. It's not the blast that Zombie Land yeah, was because that it, was going to be hard to do anyway. Right? I mean, bl- if we haven't made it clear, we love Zombie Land. Love it. It's such a great movie. Such a great movie. So this was, honestly, I think both of us were a little worried about what we were going to see with this. It turned out being it turned out to be better than I thought it was going to yeah. be. Yeah. And especially as it gets rolling, stay with it. Especially, especially. Don't leave too early because there's some great stuff during the credits right, that right. you do not want to miss. Trust us. <laughs> and we'll give a wink-wink. You may know what we're talking about there. So, yeah, all in all, Zombieland 2, Double Tap, we enjoyed it. Another sequel is next. Maleficent and her goddaughter Aurora begin to question the complex family ties that bind them as they are pulled in different directions by impending nuptials, unexpected allies, and dark new forces at play. It's Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. <laughs> I have a little bit of news. Don't ruin my morning. Philip asked me to marry him. No, I wasn't really asking. Nor was I. Love doesn't always end well, Beastie. Trust me, let us prove you wrong. You have done an admirable job going against your own nature to raise this child. But now she will finally get the love of a real mother. Tonight, I consider Aurora my own. There is no union. There will be no wedding. What have you done? We go home now. Aurora! is a threat to everyone. We'll do our best to protect you. Well, well. May I congratulate you on correctly pronouncing that word Thank you. You know what, though? I was glad to see this morning that it wasn't just me. (laughs) One of the radio stations I called to talk about it this morning, they had trouble with it. When we were on TV this morning, the hosts had trouble with it. So, yes, let's bow down to your (laughs) pronunciation skills of Maleficent. That's right. <laughs> and part of that, of course, as you know, is because I have loved Maleficent since I was a very small child. Because yep. I love Disney villains. It's really the only reason I like Disney films. And of all the villains, and they have some great ones. Cruella de Vil is brilliant. Scar is awesome. I mean, they have some great villains. But well, Maleficent is the scariest. Well, let's not. you're right, but let's not narrow it to just Disney villains. I mean, so many movies really hang yeah. on the how good your villain yeah. is. Yeah. And and, and I, I totally agree with you. And that's why both of us, especially you, were, you know, uneasy about the first one when they give Maleficent the wicked treatment. Yes, which I hate <laughs> so much. And here's where I start singing Defying Gravity. 
<laughs> yeah, at least it wasn't a musical. But I just the uh, this you know this notion that that came from Wicked, which was clever, and I I hate Wicked, but it was a clever enough concept. Shut your mouth! <laughs> you just go back and take one of the all-time great villains and then neuter that character by telling us how they're really just misunderstood. So I I was I was very very unhappy that that Maleficent was going to get the same treatment because also one of the other all-time great villains is the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. But I did think right from the start, and I continue to say that Angelina Jolie is a great choice. Although at this point, I was thinking that like partway through this one, I'm like, if Kate Blanchett's not available. <laughs> well, we got a taste of that in that one Thor movie. Yeah, exactly. She was that dark. She was perfect. Oh, yeah, she really she was. She was so great. But, you know, Jolie really, she, she looks is. the part yeah. and she, she cuts an impressive figure in those horns and the black cloaks and everything. And many costume changes this time. Many. Very Reba. Yes, very Reba. But she doesn't get... It's like they don't know what to do with her now. The first film, though I did not care for the first film, it gave her a chance. The character, you know, had an arc. Um, And in this film, it's like, well, we've already given her the arc. We don't know what to do with her anymore. So she really just stands around, looks cool, and bored. Yeah, because it hinges on Aurora, Elle Fanning. She's now the queen of the Moors. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a chance to unite the two kingdoms because now she's going to marry Prince Philip and Prince Philip's parents, uh, the king, and then his wife want to invite them over for dinner. Right. A nice in-laws get together. And of course, everybody over in their kingdom is scared of Maleficent. And then you have Michelle Pfeiffer, who is uh, Prince Philip's mother. And you can just tell by her face, she's got some uh, nefarious plans. Yes. And she's great. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is great in she everything, is. but she's great in this movie. She really you know, is. She's, she, you know, she just relishes being able to turn the screw. And very few people do it as well as she does. I mean, she's a lot of fun now that she's more of a character actor, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and she and Joe Lee have some good scenes together. Mm-hmm. Not enough, though. Yeah, that is true. Not enough. So you get that as the main conflict when you find out what Michelle Pfeiffer's character is up to. But... You also get a lot, as you as you have brought brought up, too many side plots, too many side tracks, too many characters. Also, you've got with a lot of the more woodland creatures. Mm-hmm. Even though some of the effects are impressive, I think some are pretty lackluster. No, really, I agree some with of these you. creatures. Yeah, no, I, mean, I agree with you. The uh, the look of Maleficent is great. Yeah, and some of that magic is great. Mm-hmm. But but some of the the fairies yeah. and the the big frog people and yeah. things. No, it seemed a little low budget. Now, yeah, I agree with you. I didn't like the way that that was uh, that budget was spent. Uh, and I also felt like there was some some massive talent that languished in these ridiculous characters. Even more so in this film because they have even less screen time. But. Imelda Staunton mm-hmm. and Juno Le- Temple Leslie and Manville. Leslie Manville. Yeah. The three of them are the Pixies who mm-hmm. raised Aurora in the first place. And in this case, they just have like two very minor, yeah. you know, and, and they, again, they that the, those effects don't look good. Right. But there are there have to be three dozen speaking characters in this film. <laughs> it is impossible to just... You know, there's there's no clear central story. It, there's so much time you feel is wasted. And, and again, I mean, I feel like Jolie has, I don't know, what does she have, you think, maybe 18 lines in the entire film? Right, right. And that definitely seems like a weakness, too, because you have this great character, and you... you put her up in the hold her up in the uh, early going of this movie to be such a such a being such a mm-hmm. you know command such a presence mm-hmm. and fear and then just neuter her yeah. uh, throughout the whole thing 
Now, again, it, it, a lot of that screen time is taken by Michelle Pfeiffer, who is, I agree, yep. very good. She's very good. But still, let's get, like you said, let's get them together more. Uh, and so it ends up being, uh-huh. I mean, it's if you like the first one, which we did not. No. I'll take, I suppose I'll take this one over the first one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 50-50. The first one, um, I, God, Charlotte Copley was so bad, you know, but... <laughs> But Jolie had a chance to do something, True. so uh, that was at least more interesting to me, I guess. This one is just such a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so o- overall, if you're a big fan of, of the franchise, it would be you'd want to continue on with it. Otherwise, uh, we would say it's a pass. Yes. Next up, one that is definitely not a pass. Eddie Murphy portrays real-life legend Rudy Ray Moore, a comedy and rap pioneer who proved naysayers wrong when his hilarious, obscene, kung-fu-fighting alter ego Dolomite became a 1970s black exploitation phenomenon. It's Dolomite is my name. What'd you do to your hair? You look like a pimp. It's all pretend. I just created a character. Dolomite. <laughs> you true. Whatever it takes, I'm ready to do it. I got to be totally outrageous. It's filthy. You've got a product here that you can't sell or promote. If I get up in that light with my own movie, I could be everywhere all at once. Let's bring Dolomite to the screen. Damn! This thing flops, you're gonna be working for free for the rest of your life. I'm so grateful for what you did for me. Cause I never seen nobody that looks like me up there on that big screen. God, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know. Talk about fun. Talk about <laughs> R-rated fun. <laughs> this one, this one is just a blast. Now, last month at uh, Toronto, in one of the interviews, Eddie Murphy was quoted as saying he wanted this movie to remind people why they liked him. Right. And boy, it really does. Yeah. This is his show all the way. I mean, I don't know how crowded the best actor field is going to be this Pretty year. Pretty crowded. It looks like that's it looks like that's the the category that's the most stacked. Well, even so, I would it would not surprise me. He's he's got to be in the running. He's he's absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic as, as as Dolomite or Rudy Ray Moore for those that are not familiar. This goes back to the 70s and these just so so bad low budget, so bad they're good black exploitation movies of a, a low-budget shaft kind of guy called Dolomite, which is a character dreamed up by uh, Rudy Ray Moore, who was kind of a failed stand-up comedian. And he's an Ohioan, right? That, 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 those were all in Ohio. Uh, he actually passed away in Ohio, in Akron. He was born in Arkansas. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, passed away in, uh, 19, in uh, 2008 in Akron. But anyway, yeah, he came up with this. He was sort of a—he was always a guy that was just wanting to get in front of a crowd. You know, he, was he sing and do comedy, going to dance, whatever— and uh, he's got this character of Dolomite, which is just a, you know, a brash-talking, sort of a Chuck Norris joke kind of guy before that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm so bad and just, yeah. you know, insulting people. And it turned in first to a, a, a great boost to his comedy act once he uh, donned this alter ego. But his his material was so obscene <laughs> and beyond the standards of any record company at the time. He had to put these albums out underground. But they proved to be big successes, and then that led him to dream to get on, on the big screen. And it's it's really a great story, not only of, of the creative process yeah. of dreamers, you know, it's, it's sort of universal in that way, but it's also just hilarious in the way that they <laughs> tell this story. And it's director Craig Brewer, 
who has done Hustle and, Hustle Flow. and Flow and Black, Black Snake, Snake Moan. Moan. God, I hate Black Snake Moan. God, I hate that movie. But I'll tell you, he keeps the pace. I mean, the pace just moves. Right away, you are just moving through the early days of, of how he uh, got into this character and how his life was before it hit, and just moves it. It does start to drag a little bit later, but right away, man, you're into it, and the, feel, the movie just feels like it's flying by. And the script is written by the couple of guys, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, and they have done these types of movies before. They did the scripts for uh, Man on the Moon, yeah. for The People versus Larry yeah, yeah, Flint. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of have a, a feel for taking these real... Biopics. Yeah. Very, very unusual yeah. and fascinating biopics. Yeah, in a, in a really entertaining way, mm-hmm. because this movie is so... Entertaining. The ensemble cast surrounding Murphy is great as well. You've got Craig Robinson. You've got uh, Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, yeah. uh, A priceless Wesley Snipes who plays the one quote-unquote actor among all these amateurs. He was a a guy who played, uh, had a small part in Rosemary's Baby. Yep. Back in the day. So he thought, look, I'm, I've worked with Roman Polanski, you know, <laughs> and I'm just above it all. And Wesley Snipes is priceless in that role. And everybody in the cast just re- really fleshes it out to give it such character and such a, a time stamp. It feels so much like the 70s, you know, and uh, it's a fascinating story. Even if you don't know anything about Dolomite or have seen any movies, and I know you have, uh, or the guy behind these, because if you have seen the movies... And are just like, what the F? <laughs> you know, and are fascinated by how did these come to get made? It is. It's a fun and fascinating story. It is. It's, so it's, it is a funny idea. I remember I, when I watched Dolomite, which was not that long ago, actually. And uh, and I love, I'm a big fan of black exploitation movies, starting with, of course, Blackula and mm-hmm. everything William Marshall ever did. But then, of course, you know, Shaft and Superfly and, oh, yeah. you know, everything. Foxy Brown. Uh, Foxy Brown, all of those. And so, you know, I stumbled across Dolomite. I rented it one time because I hadn't seen it, you know, and it's ranks with those and I watched it and thought what in the hell am I watching because it's it's Kung it's Fu. very much a cut below oh, <laughs> very yeah. much oh, yeah. a cut below I was just I mean and then you know after a while it is it is so ridiculous this chunky bad kung fu kicking right. pimp and when he kicks oh my God. when he kicks his he barely raises his leg off the ground and guys go flying it's hilarious but the 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 movie has the tone just right because uh, early on you see Dolomite or Rudy and his group of guys, you know, they go to a screening of a quote unquote of a mainstream movie right, right, with right. a bunch of white people in the audience who are just laughing, 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 and they just don't get it. Uh-uh. And they figure that, you know, this is not our people, what we know and the people we live with, this is not for them. No. So right away, you know, what he's he's concerned with. Serving his audience. Yes. Like, look, I know if I can do this, my people... You the know, people are, who are buying my albums, people yeah. who are coming to my comedy shows, right. the people that I know, right. they don't have a voice. And, They're not and, seeing exactly. anything that reflects their lives back to and them. And then one of the other great things it does later on, when they're filming, actually filming the movie, and they get to Dolomite's big sex scene, well, he doesn't, Rudy doesn't feel good about it until they just push it to such a ridiculous degree about his, <laughs> his prowess in the bedroom. And that lets you know that, look, we're not laughing at this guy, okay? We're laughing with him. Mm. And that is a very, very, very. big distinction it that really you have is, to yeah. get right. And not only that, but Eddie Murphy's performance. It's only going to work if you can feel the fact that these are two different people. He's playing Rudy, and then he's playing Rudy as Dolan. Right, right, right. And he does. And, yeah. you, and it definitely makes it all come together in the end when... He finally gets the due and the crowds and the love that he's been 
searching for, right. and he gets rewarded for the belief in himself. So you, you have all that, and plus it's just darn funny. I think that a lot of it has to go back, obviously Eddie Murphy, but a lot of it does, I think, go back to those two writers who, who seem to have a knack for for finding a really unusual focus for a biopic and truly admiring the uniqueness of that individual, of Larry Flint, yeah. of, you know, of a person that a lot of times from the outside, a larger sort of market perspective is not seen as somebody who's particularly admirable. Mm-hmm. And they find something, a, a real quality worth admiring in that person. Yeah, agreed. And then you have the, a, a director that just keeps it moving. Yeah. And you have a star like Eddie Murphy, which I'm sure he probably ad-libbed a great deal because he's so good. And you are reminded, just like he was hoping, uh, you are reminded just why you like him and how talented yeah. he is. Yeah. And uh, there are many reasons. He's a big one, but there are many reasons to definitely see Dolomite is my name. Let's go to a documentary next. When the Taliban puts a bounty on Afghan director Hassan Fazili's head, he's forced to flee with his wife and two young daughters capturing their uncertain journey. He shows firsthand the dangers facing refugees seeking asylum and the love shared between a family on the run. It's called Midnight Traveler. Boy, how many times can we say this has been a great year for documentaries? But it just continues to be the case. Just one after the this other. Is, this has got to be on the short list for Oscar. I would think. It's it's so gripping and, and heartbreaking and also tender and touching. And it's it was filmed on three iPhones right. by this Afghan filmmaker whose work in his homeland gave him a death sentence yep. by the Taliban yep. in 2015. And they they their, their first place of asylum was neighboring... Tajikistan, 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 Uh, but then they were denied after about a year or so, and so the movie picks up the night before they were going to be deported back to Afghanistan, so they had to go on the run. Sure. And it's obviously being filmed by a filmmaker with iPhones. It's incredibly intimate. It's incredibly personal. You get to know this family, which right away makes a global crisis seem very, very personal. Absolutely. Which is... Yeah, what one of the things that you want to do here. And they are just trying to find a safe place to live. And, of course, there are terrifying moments. They have to take off in the middle of the night, hence the title, Midnight Traveler. They put their faith and money in smugglers who uh, break promises. Uh, you, but then you also see their kids just trying to have a moment to be a kid and play and mm-hmm. laugh. And you see the couple sharing a moment where they laugh and remember something from years past when life wasn't so hard and you get to really care for these these people and really be concerned about their plight yeah and it reminds you instantly that these reams and reams of names of families waiting for asylum all have stories yeah just, they're all human they're, beings exactly. with, with loving families and, and uh, yeah, a story to tell. Yeah, exactly right. And it also reminded me of Free Solo, which was the Oscar-winning documentary from last year, from yeah. last year about the free climber. One of the things that stuck out about that was you, you actually heard the camera crew and the filmmakers worrying on camera about how much their presence, just the fact that they were there filming, how much that would affect the choices made by this free climber. Right, right, right. And 
this is so this movie gets so intimate that you start almost feeling the same way like i'm intruding right i'm intruding here and mm-hmm. it's the fact that he's filming this going to cause him to do something that he wouldn't normally do right. and have them put in harm's way mm-hmm. it it just gets so personal about that it's incredibly that. So tense it really is and it's it's really sobering you know making this global crisis so personal and so it's it's certainly not the the feel-good laugh riot movie of the year no. but it's a very gripping documentary and one that we definitely recommend midnight traveler and since it's halloween season let's try a halloween spooky movie a no-nonsense detective tries to track down a serial killer named trick who is terrorizing a small town it's called trick people want a monster that they can fear Get down! You discharge your weapon five times into the guy. How's he still alive? He isn't. Trick comes back every Halloween. Hey, you know what I heard? I heard Trick Weaver was back. <laughs> I heard it about 26 times in this movie. Yeah, about every oh. about every eight minutes, yeah. Oh. Trick Weaver's back. No, it can't be. You know what, though? We have to give it some props, though. Two things we liked pretty much before we even started watching the movie. We like the tagline. Always choose treat. It's a great tagline. Well done. And it's good advice. So two for two right off the bat. That's right, before we even see anything. And then things go downhill. They really do. <laughs> they really, really do. So Patrick Lussier, uh is the director, co-writer for this, and he's done, he did My Bloody Valentine, the remake, and he did Drive Angry. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Okay. This is not as good as those. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it's so forced. It, it reminds you so many times of other movies, better movies. It just takes, I mean, from right away, you get a, a party, a Halloween party massacre. Yes. Okay, right off the bat. Yeah. Well, and the, and then it it does. Uh, he pulls huge chunks from at least four different Halloween films, um, and you know, and of course, part of it is that he's got this this you know maybe you can't kill him serial killer who mm-hmm. returns on Halloween and kills people, and there's the virtuous, studious young woman that survived the first attack, and now he's back for her, or what? is he? And there's, yeah, I mean, there's, it, it's such a Halloween ripoff, and it also has a, a very much of a scream vibe mm-hmm. about it, and, and, and he underscores that by choosing two actors from Scream, because not only is Omar Epps the lead, but, um, but Jamie Kennedy, he's also in it. But then it also, I think, tries really hard to have some sort of a socially relevant commentary and misses that mark pretty wide. Yeah, it just seems very tired. Seems like a retread. Maybe it was just me and the night we were watching it. But if I, if I had to hear Trick Weaver's back one more time from... Anyway, and any number of characters, you know, it's funny. I mean, so much of the film feels like you've said it so many times you were checking boxes, but this is even sloppier than that. It's like now I need a scene where apropos of nothing, the virtuous young woman weeps as she as she discusses her devotion to her father when, oh. when there's no backstory there. The dad shows up out of nowhere in a hospital bed like 35 minutes into the movie. We don't know she has a dad prior to that scene. We don't have any scene. There are no scenes where the dad isn't hospitalized. So then when she weeps, do you remember that time, Dad, when you said this to me? And then she has to, in a monologue, recreate the whole scene that didn't exist in the film that so that then she can respond to it by bawling. It's like, we have no investment in this in this relationship at all. Yeah, it was it was painful and then you get to the the killings it's all music stabs 
Oh, I, I won't even even say um, jump scares. I no. suppose there are a few, but it's just mainly music stabs yeah, there, over there really and over again. Aren't very many jump scares, to be honest with you. And um, and you know the other thing that I I thought might be cool was that knife. He's got a knife, and it's carved in the handle. Trick on one side, treat on the other. Mm-hmm. And the the trailer makes you think that oh, you're lucky if you come up treat, then he's going to spare you. No, there's actually no reason whatsoever for the knife. There's you know what I mean it's it so is cool things. looking though. Yeah, it's a cool it's a looking knife. Mm-hmm. It's also cool looking you know when they find the house and oh how did he get in with and it's all completely filled with jack-o'-lanterns that are lit and not not melted not all droopy down yet so so recently lit how did he get in without our noticing oh i see he tunneled in he tunneled in (laughs) from where and with what and how did nobody notice that he tunneled in it's just the laziest movie yeah so uh if you're looking for a great new one for halloween this year trick is not it but great tagline and the knife is pretty cool Mm mm-hmm and that means it's off to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Well, we'll start with Crawl. This is one. Remember when we started seeing the trailer and I went, you know what? I'm strangely interested in this. It's true. It's true. It turned out to be fun. It really was. It definitely was. Not a great movie. It's not going to be, you know, oh, this is as good as Jaws. No. But it's, I thought it was a blast. Absolutely. Now, this is the one, if you're looking for something that you haven't seen for Halloween, I think this is a great monster movie exactly to watch. It's tense. It's fun. It knows what it's doing. It's got a cute dog. Yeah, it's a a fun one. And yes, you're going to have to suspend disbelief. Yes, definitely. But just enjoy it. I think most of the, the direction about how they maneuver these many gators mm-hmm. in and around as they're trying to get to the people, and they do get to plenty of people. Oh, they get to plenty. <laughs> uh, is good, mm-hmm. and just just go with it, and it's a good creature feature. Thought it was fun. Uh, the Art of Self-Defense comes out this week. This was, so Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us. And, and he another, loved Jess, it. So Jesse Eisenberg, once again, another yep. Jesse Eisenberg movie this year, and he's uh, his character is meek, and he's going to take some self-defense classes from Alessandra Navolo, who's always great, just always great, and it becomes... A black comedy. It's so well written, and the the pacing is great, and the performances are outstanding. So it's a it's a little movie, but it is definitely worth your finding. Yeah, as you said, Brandon Thomas wrote it for us at MadWolf.com, and you can still find his review. He thought it was one of the best movies he's seen of the this year. year. Absolutely, yeah, and that's the art of self defense. Also, a disappointment, Stuber. I keep always wanting to call it Stuber. And you do. I, have I don't no know one, why that is. I th- you know why I think it is? I think because they, they brought in some, some German food today at work. And, the, <laughs> and that smell is still in the air. I'm smelling the kraut, and I want to say Stuber. But, uh, yeah, disappointing. Yes, and I, I wanted to like it. I love Camille Nanjani, and he's always, always funny. We follow him on Twitter. We also follow Dave Bautista, Dave, Dave Bautista who, is, who is also pretty funny on Twitter. And I thought, oh, well, the two of them, that's a good odd couple right mm-hmm, there. And mm-hmm. that's really what it's built on. It just doesn't go anywhere. They've got a couple of funny jokes. When he gets in the, the Uber, and uh, and Camille Nanjani asks him if they were just going to go look for Sarah Connors all over town. <laughs> that was a funny bit. Um, yeah, because as we've mentioned many times, when you have these gargantuan people yeah. in movies, you kind of have to deal with it. Unless you do. You're, unless you're playing a superhero, if you're just a normal person in life, people are going to comment, right. you are huge. <laughs> they just are. <laughs> but the storyline is so convoluted and stupid that, you know, I mean, there are a lot of funny jokes about old people who don't know how to take an Uber. But that that can't that can't maintain a whole film. So once you get past that, and if you look at the plot, you're like, yikes. Yeah. So yeah, it's one to one to skip. Yeah, it's too bad. Next week, oh man, we are looking forward oh, to man. this one. We're going to see it in just a few days. We're so excited. The Lighthouse. Woo-hoo-hoo. Why'd you spill your beans? <laughs>
<laughs> the uh, follow-up to The Witch from Robert Eggers, and uh, we love The Witch so much. So looking forward to uh, The Lighthouse. Also, Countdown. It's an Not app so that much. tells you when you're going to die. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll keep our keep our uh, minds open. And also Making Waves, uh, a documentary about the history and legends behind sound design at the movies. Now this, if you're a sound geek like I am, this right. is right up our alley. So this, uh, earlier today, uh, Omar tweeted about how excited he is about another movie we're going to talk about next week, The Current War. And he said, he just went on this big nerdy rant, and then he said that the two of us blocked him. Which I said, no, we love nerds. That When we talk about this uh, this sound movie, you'll see. <laughs> you'll see how nerdy one of us can get. <laughs> the Great Alaskan Race is next week. I know nothing about that. Uh, Paradise Hills, same deal. Black and Blue. Yeah. Starting to see the trailers for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is Naomi Harris. Yeah, I like her. Always good. And you just mentioned the current war. Yep. Nikola Tesla mm-hmm. uh, will be out next week as well. So, man, that's a that's a big uh, group, of, group of flicks to check out next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about these, especially Zombieland 2. Are you loving that? Uh, Dolomite. Do you gotta lo- love that. Gotta love that. Uh, <laughs> and maybe you love uh, Maleficent. And I keep saying it correctly. You do. Man. Pretty good. So roll. let us know. So uh, keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can always find us. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website for our, all of our written reviews and our horror movie-only podcast, Fright Club. Perfect time of year, if you're not a Fright Clubber, to join in. That's right. The Halloween season. And uh, all that is at MadWolf.com. So until then, we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. Wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast right now, if you could take just a second to subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Of course we would. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.